And now, welcome to The Approach with Jeremy Seaholm, Danny Finn. Welcome to The Approach, episode number 17. I am, uh, your, I am your host, Jeremy Seaholm. I'm Danny Finn. XVII. I don't think I did it on the last one. I think, no. I think I forgot. I was kind of uh, not on my A game as far as the lettering of Roman numerals go. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's XVII. Yep. Okay, perfect. I got it. So, we're going to be running up on Super Bowls. We're going to run at the WrestleMania. So, we're going to have to start talking about Super Bowls. Well, we have at least 19 more. How many are there? How many are they at? Uh, oh, sorry, 20 more. I think they're, they just did 37. That's crazy. I remember the idea when I was a kid. Uh, probably around like WrestleMania 16, 17, 18. And I was like, oh, can you imagine how crazy WrestleMania 30 is going to be XXX? It's going to be X rated. It's going to be, the- yeah. It wasn't. I figured as much. Was that the PG era or was that the uh, yeah. ruthless aggression? No, we passed ruthless, oh, okay. ruthless aggression at that point. Uh, so we have Dave Chesterkov coming in. Yeah, Dave's a local guy. Um, I've known him off and on. Uh, this was the longest conversation I've ever had with him. So it was really good to get to know him more than just, you know, five second in passing which is usually you know the most i've talked to him so yeah no and i'm looking forward to it i've known dave for for a long time you guys pulled together right worlds yeah we were teammates on, my, on our first world teams together so, so. i've known him for a while because your first worlds must have been like 40 50 years ago uh, 46 <laughs> 47 something like that. Something that's like what that. it feels like <laughs> so all right so we'll get dave in and then we'll see you later with spare thoughts well david Welcome. Thank you. So formal on these introductions. <laughs> I know. I can, you know, I, I go in the, what I'm going to say, and then it just pops out. And, and, then, and then the mic goes loud and you're like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a stranger to my, is this the first time you've ever been behind a microphone before broadcasting anything? Uh, well, no. Uh, <laughs> as most people know, I do the New England Candlepins. Uh, I still remember my first time. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of dead air, you know, not quite sure how to fill it. You know, you're working with somebody next to you and you're like, should he talk or should I talk? And like, so That's the other trick too. Like you don't want to, as I probably just did, you don't want to step over each other either as you're, you know, both might have the same idea or same thought process and what, what you want to say. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Um, the more you work with somebody, uh, the more you kind of get uh, a chemistry going. Right. Uh, like me, Mark, and Jay now, we're... We're basically just we instinctively know when to talk, when not to talk, or when to just scream over somebody because <laughs> somebody just made a great shot. You just want to add that color commentary. Does that get tricky when you have you've had people out before? I think you've been out. Jay's been out as well. I think you've had a few. I mean, Jeremy, you've been on the show, yeah, uh, before. Rob Lenny has been on the show. Kustak's been on the show. I think mm-hmm. probably more more guest appearances than anybody else that I can think of. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we've had several guest uh, guest hosts. Uh, some some were really great. Yeah, uh, others. There's me. Like, then there's Jeremy. You know, like, I'm, telling you, I'm telling you, the first the first show that I that I stepped in on, I felt like the uh, like the color guy from Major League Two or Major League One and Two. Bob Uecker passes out drunk, and he has to do the play by play. And he's like, fly ball. <laughs> yeah, I know that movie well. Cut. <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't, when do I talk? Can I talk? Am I allowed to talk? Like, what am I? What am I doing? How do you quickly see the like I, the, the one thing that I can't do is be able the number off the pins that quickly. Like, I know all the pin numbers, but I can't rattle them off like as quickly as some of the, like what you do on that show. You bowl the game long enough, you just kind of know the pins just by where they are. Yeah, you know that's seventh and that's even. I mean, we still all make mistakes sometimes. So I've done it more times than I can shake a stick at because 
You think that's a four pin, but you accidentally said six pin because maybe oh, you're at a I did that. angle. I did that at least three times at the candle pins for cancer thing because we were off at an angle. Yeah. And it was like a horrible angle. And I kept like mistaking the six pin for the nine pin. And it was just, I'm like, ah, that's a nine pin. Oh, that's a six pin. Yeah. Or sometimes you try to rattle it off quickly before the bowler rolls with another ball and you mess it up. <laughs> we got the one four set. Well, yeah. that, well we got well, the one four. Anyway, what pin was standing before he threw that last ball? <laughs> How did New England candle pins come to be? Because I know it was actually called something else first. It was originally called the uh, the Hockamock cha- uh, Challenge or something along That's like lines. a Franklin thing, right? It was a strictly Franklin thing over at Fico's. Um, just something that Fico's and the local Franklin Access TV just got together and did. Um, I actually forgot it was called Hockamock. Yeah, it was. It was only called that once, and it was such a big hit that they decided to call it New England Candlepins from then on. Canadians aren't allowed to bowl in it. Yeah, <laughs> but, it, but it was strictly for house bowlers, wasn't it? Uh, the first one was. Yeah, but they opened it up because they wanted to. Because it was it was so good, it was so popular, with, especially with the ratings. Yeah, uh, they wanted to open it up to um, more bowlers. Uh, they made it. It was they made a scratch. Was uh, it handicapped before? I don't think so. Yeah, but it might have been. Who's gonna say? Being sometimes house tournaments, I feel are, are easier to be handicapped because everyone's kind of has the same level playing field. You're bowling on the same lanes. It's the same average, so it makes it a little bit more fair. Also, you're not chasing averages from different houses. So right. I could have saw that that would have been the direction until it, it went off. And I'm glad because you look at another great show. Unfortunately, I think they may be done airing. Was King of the Palace was always right. handicapped. I know they sprinkled them from scratch, but to have a scratch tournament like this, I think is really uh, beneficial to the game for some of the top flight bowlers. Yeah, I mean, most of your most of your pros don't really like to bowl handicap. Right. Um, it's it's not because it's necessarily bad, but from my point of view, it's if you average one twenty, um, and you're bowling a guy with an eighty average, right? Uh, the ceiling is much higher for the eighty average bowler in a in a handicap tournament because they throw one hundred and twenty. Mm-hmm. That means that one twenty average bowler now throw one hundred and sixty. Just to match it. <laughs> so I, I know this and isn't super on, a, on topic for doing candlepins, <laughs> but do you think that that, I guess it is has, has to do with NECP. Do you think that gets added more so because it's a one stringer? Oh, especially if it's a one stringer. Because I feel um, like in a five, you know, a three, five, and especially like a 10, the better bowler should ultimately end up winning regardless of if there's a handicap or not. Right. In a perfect world. In, in a perfect world. In a perfect world, the handicap is supposed to make it relatively even. Yep. Um, Maybe that works well in other sports in Candlepin. I think an 80% average is about as fair as you can make it. To try to entice, you know, your 115s, your 120 average bowlers to get in it and to keep your, you know, your 80 average bowlers interested. Right. Um, If you want to do 100%, you're probably looking at a gap of probably, you're not really going to get many over 100 average probably participate I just think, for that reason i almost think 100 percent handicap makes it more random on who wins it's, it's just literally who just who has the better day yeah, yeah, yeah so that, to, to really me that's almost is. a roll of the dice who wins number one and number two what house are you bowling out of because if you bowl out of norwood right. per se and you're bowling up against if you're an 80 average at norwood and you're bowling up against an 85 average at palace you're probably the better scratch bowler yeah there was a time i, I actually did a league in norwood it's the only house league i did i only averaged the one thirteen. Yeah. But the year before, I was averaging 123 at uh, so Academy. It was, so it was fast that year. Yeah, that was fast <laughs> that year. And uh, so I was the under 120, and I did uh, 
the under 120 in the mixed um, internationals, yep. you know, up in New Palace, uh, not New Palace, um, Park Place Lanes. And I have people calling me a sandbagger, so I said, I'm never doing that again. Well, it's, yeah, it's understandable, too. It's a shitty situation. You know, it's just like, I just wanted a bowl. I've heard right. that before, <laughs> and not saying you specifically, but I've heard that before, the idea of trying to bowl. Find the harder houses. I think Wakefield's one, mm. Norwood's one, um, Lita. And I know they're tr- they're gonna, you know, the new sidewalls maybe will get a little bit faster. But I heard pins too, right? I've heard people call that legal sandbagging before. Yeah, where you're trying as hard as you can, but you're just not right. gonna get the results right. you're gonna get well, in another there house. Was, there right? was one year, um, one of the handicap all around the Bears. I, I went in with a one twelve. Yeah, like I had a horrible, horrible start. It was bad, and I was paired up with Lori. And my first two strings, I went 126, 152. And she's just like, well, she's looking at me. She's like, what's your average? Mm. I'm like, I'm "I'm not bowling well at all. Like, I I don't know. I don't don't know what's happening, man. I didn't end up winning, but it was just one of those things. Like, I I felt bad. Yeah, exactly. I I felt the same way. So I I just said I'm not... Probably not going to bowl an handicap tournament again, you know. Just I still, I still bowl. You know, I mean, I'll, I, I think I probably got in one or two between that point and now, but I generally shy away from them just for that reason because, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm bowling out of this house. It's tough. I come here, maybe it's a little faster. I bowl better, and people are calling me potentially calling me a cheater. I'm just like, it's not, it's not worth it. So, do you not bowl in any leagues at all, or just? I, I do the Friday Pro League. I, I got back into it this year. Took a couple of years off, and uh, you had some injuries, right? Uh, well, I, I moved to New Hampshire, then I moved back here. Um, I was in New Hampshire for about four years, and then I came back to Massachusetts. Uh, the transition just wasn't right. Um, I needed to take time off to get things, you know, our families together, yep. and take care of the stuff that needs to be taken care of. And now that that's done, I'm, I'm picking the ball back up again. So. Yeah. Were you part of the New England Candlepins from the inception of it, from the very get-go? When, when Actually, it was talking no, about? I wasn't. Um the first, the first tournament, I didn't get in it. The second one, I think I did. Uh, somewhere on the second or third one. And I did a show. Where I didn't do any hosting or commentating. And then uh, one day I was there early because I, I lived in Walpole at the time. So I just came down because mm-hmm. I was like, I'll watch the show. I, I made the show. I'll watch it. And one of the commentators was out that day. And Pete was just, I just walked up to Pete Faciano. I was like, do you need a you know, a second person because I don't think Jay's, you know, got cut. <laughs> you know, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah you're Jay's best down. listener, right? He heard yeah. Me. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he's heard this. I'm sure he's left. Um, you know, Jay's a great guy. Um, but in terms of, uh, you know, like his bowling knowledge. Right. And um, I think he would tell you that too. He's not exactly. a bowler. Uh, oh, of course. And I mean, he, he kind of, he flaunts his lack of Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. We, we, we at this point play it, play it off at this yeah. point. So, and uh, he's had to have accidentally learned a lot of stuff about bowling that he never wanted to know too. Oh, probably. <laughs> there's there's hints like like the later, at least in the last session, like you can tell he's trying a little oh, bit. He he's yeah. trying a little bit harder to like you know make sure he gets it right instead of not being you know goofy the whole time. Right. Which right. I love. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I love that. Yeah. I think what makes it good for him because my mom is a fan of the show as well, and she likes Jay a lot because she said you know if you put three bowlers on the show a lot, a lot of times. I'll give you a good example. Um, unfortunately. This is going to air out of out of order here, but we had uh, we did interview uh, Frank and Kyle, and they kept talking about Rich. They never said his last name. Yeah. Kyle kept talking about his uncle, 
Bowen Roloff never mentions his name. Sometimes when you're just in the same group, you kind of miss a lot of the obvious questions that a viewer who maybe not isn't a bowler or from an outside perspective wouldn't ask. And Jay is that guy that would Jay say, that guy, why yeah. would you play the ball where he played it or things like that? And maybe it's a question that you're like, oh, I wouldn't have thought to answer that because every bowler knows that's where you put the ball. Yeah, I always, I always like to try to fill that in when I can. Yeah. Um, sometimes I, I'm almost afraid to because I don't want the bowler to hear me. Not to say that the bowler does. <laughs> isn't going to go there anyway, but it's one of those things where I don't want to tip give information to tip somebody off. Right. You know, have a match. So I try to pick the really hard ones where, where you have like two options. That way, if I say it, the bowl still has to pick one, even if he does hear me. Right. So, <laughs> you know, if, or if it's a really simple shot, I'll just be like, oh, he's just going to play it down there. Well, I've heard uh, too in the past like where that. after after the bowler has bowled, you guys, you and Richie have talked about, you know, I think I would have gone a little bit higher on the yeah. pin. Yeah, we try to pick our spots yeah. as best we can because um, we, we're we sitting here. We, we I mean, we've never had a bowler say, hey, we can hear you. Yeah. Um, so Didn't we, have we assume it's okay. Have I've heard – I can hear – like when you guys get like animated, oh, I, yeah. I can hear you. But if you guys are just talking, I, it's not enough for me to know what you're saying. Oh, perfect. So that that's good to know. <laughs> I would and I try. I try. I'm like, I wonder what they're saying. <laughs> I, I would almost be more annoyed if I could almost hear you, but not quite. Because then it's almost like your ears perk up and you're like, I know they're saying something, but I don't know what. Like, I think I, you could go either way with it. But at the same time, you don't want to be loud enough that as they're, you know, and the pitch basically as the guy's going in. It, it could be a little distracting at that point. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if you've made the show, you're – and especially if you've watched the show prior or really any TV show, uh, you kind of know that – that the commentator is probably going to say something and you can kind of almost instinctively channel that out. Yeah. Because you, you almost feel like you're watching the show, even though you're both. <laughs> I remember uh, doing just one of those stand-up camera play-by-plays for a match. Uh, I think it was the Chicha match and Sean Taylor needed a single pin just to be over. I want to say it was over Reno. He would have made it either. I think they were going for the one and two or something like that. And the top two advanced. And I had said, oh, he really needs to hit this single here. And he gets the single. He comes off the lens. That was a big shot. I even said it in the, in the commentary. He goes, yeah, no, I can hear you. No pressure. Thanks. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, you want to you inform the viewer. Right. You know, especially on a, a shot with wood, you know, because maybe they're a bowler that might want to learn something. And yeah. So, you know, me and Richie and, and Jay, we always try to keep it informative and entertaining. Now, a little off topic now, switching gears. Um, so your son recently joined the uh, Kids League. Yes. And you had a very interesting take on a lot of the kids, they come in, they've never even picked up a ball before. And, you know, Kate works with them usually when they're on the bumpers. And then as they come up, we start to work more on like the three-step approach and things like that. Sometimes it takes a little bit more work than others. But you were working with your son bef- without even a ball in his hand. Yes. Uh, we he, he got really into it this summer, or right at the start of summertime. Well, I mean, he was there. He was here every Sunday. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, he still comes in almost every Sunday. Uh, and, and he really wanted to learn how to do it uh, like like his daddy. I'm like, don't do it like your daddy. Daddy's not always right all the time. <laughs> but I, I know the fundamentals yep. forwards and backwards. So I'm like, I'm going to teach you the fundamentals. You know, and I started with uh, the three-step approach. But since he, since I had the opportunity to train him without any bad habits, um, I just I started with the last step, mm-hmm. which is slide and release. 
and I made him pick up a soccer ball, which was, you know, a little bigger than his hand, you know, and I just said, just slide and release in the kitchen with your socks on because you can slide and just let the ball roll down the hallway and just keep doing that. And I put a little like Pringles can at the end. It's like when you hit that thing 20 times, you know, in a row. Yeah. Come, come and find me and I'll give you the next instruction. And he did that for like a day. Yeah. And he finally did it and I gave him the next instruction. And I said, now right, we're going to do a two-step job. And I said, the second step is your balance step because uh, what happens is your arm is in that step is going backwards and your body and your your foot's going forwards. So yeah. it's, it's a... And you see what the adults are literally over, they're walking the wrong way. The, yeah, you, it's an, uh, your, your body is going in two different directions. Yeah. That's why your second step is your balance step. Mm -hmm. So if you can master your balance there, that slide release will, will be fine. Right. Most pros, when you throw a wayward ball, it's your second step. You got out of balance, and you know it before you even let it go. I mean, oh, you're yeah. like, oh, yeah. that's, that's awful. You know, yeah, you, just, you do it before you let it go. Yeah. The, the, the second you take your second step, yeah. and the ball's like not even out of your hand, and you're yep. already like, you're like not that's not getting it. <laughs> so I've heard from pro bowlers. Yeah. Or when you let it go, and you're like, that's a strike. Yeah. Just, no. And that's. And of course, the the first step in your approach is really just the momentum giver. Yeah. Right. Go. Um, some people will take a four step. Are you um, I, I with the baby in a three or something yeah. like that. Uh, I don't even know if I do a baby anymore. I have to yeah. pay attention tonight. Yeah. The uh, it, I found the older I get, the less steps I take, and the shorter my steps become. Yeah. <laughs> and if you watch my first show, I was at the back of the approach, and it was just like four big steps. Now it's like this one little tiny minuscule step, and then it's basically three. Now are you a three step guy? Uh, I used to be. I actually take four. I, 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 my first step with my right foot is kind of small. Yeah. It, it's really just to get the body moving. I was. Uh, I did four steps and then I took Dan Murphy's class to, to do the instruction. And from there, he was all about the three step. The less steps you take, the less room forever. And um, I there, is, there is truth to that. And I tried it and I couldn't get it to work. And I remember Boudreaux uh, was down here one day and we were talking about it. And I said, I can't do three steps. He goes, well, how long have you tried it? I said, tried it for like two, three weeks. It doesn't work. And he goes, no, no, no. You have to do it for a whole season. Two, yeah, three you weeks. Have, you have to come in. So <laughs> now I've been doing it pro probably three or four years. And I, I'll say I did take a step backwards and then got up to, you know, a whopping one, you know, 106, 107 average. But I think I was averaging 97 as a four step. Yeah, anytime you have, you've, you've built a repertoire, it's, 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 it's a thing that two people's like practice makes perfect. Yeah. But practice makes permanent. Right. Because if you practice the right stuff, great. But if you practice it the wrong way, it's ingrained in your muscle memory now. Yeah. So when you change it, you have to basically rip that muscle memory apart. And you usually will take a step back. Yeah. This is where kids sometimes can get impatient because you change it and they do worse. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm supposed to be better. And that's what when you were telling me. And it's great that we have so many, you know, obviously Kate and I are the instructors of the uh, of the kids league. But you have a lot of parents in that league that are bowlers. Jeremy, your daughter just joined this year yep. as well. Um, you know, Dan Castle's granddaughter bowls in the league. Matt Rich's kids bowl in the league. Um, and it's it's and I've always said like if you see something with another kid that you know you think could benefit, they may not always listen. A lot of mm -hmm. times they don't listen to me. I mean, uh, Rob Papp's son bowls. He just threw his high single with a one twelve. So we'll add that oh, as nice. a big yeah. So and it, it's great 
to see these milestones. But it reminds me, I was um, we were coaching uh, states one year over at Alley Cat, and they had a group from uh, Lanes and Games. And one of the coaches saw something with one of our kids and said, "You mind if I give him some tips? Mm. I think I could help him out." And I said, "Yeah, you don't have to ask me if you see something." And, and he said, "Well, this coach in the past, said, you know, these are my kids. You don't teach them anything. That's my job." And I said, "It's not about me. It's yeah, about the kids." Right. I totally agree. So that's I mean, and I said the same thing to you. I said, "If you see anybody that you know." looks like they're going to be receptive to help like just jump on because it's like that's as bobby witt said that's the next generation hop right but that's when you had said that whole thing about the one step the working on the last step then the two step that was such a like i had never thought of that idea before really breaking that down a lot of times yeah, when we I, get them it's just yeah i mean i used to coach golf so we broke the swing down i was like yeah. why don't i just talk about think about how to break you know can open down. yeah and you can see his form he's got like that perfect form right he's just he just it, it's it's muscle memory for him now. yeah and, and he's already rolled his several hundred games already, yeah. and he's only been bowling this summer it's, it took yeah. him three weeks at home rolling the ball and then he threw his first hundred game no problem did, I, did you know? I tell you what what we said on on, on saturday no so she goes she gets excited to come bowling now which is awesome which is good I, I thought, that's, and that's what we wanted and exactly. I, I thought for sure when I got her to like do it, she, it was going to be like a couple weeks. She's like, I don't want to do this anymore because yeah. that's what she does. But she's like, no, and she gets excited because she gets to play games afterwards and all that stuff. But she really likes to bowl. She's like, she's like yeah, I want to bowl. I want to get. I want to be like as you know, like as good as you. But ah, I'm not going to be as good as you. Like whatever. And I'm like, no, like that's what I want you to do. Yeah. And then she bowled an 82 with bonkers. But I mean, Excellent. she's seven. But yeah, she got blitzed. That's, 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 she did get blitzed, and she didn't have a dollar. I had to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> first so, box right first box so and then she bowled her 82 she finished the game she walks off she goes just kind of realized something so yeah what's that she goes i can be better than you <laughs> or like i'm gonna be better than you or something like that i'm like right oh i mean i definitely think she has the potential to be a better youth bowler than you are probably i was terrible were you a youth bowler <laughs> i was uh, where did you start your instructional leagues uh right right at ficos yeah and uh you know i mean we didn't really have um, like a pro instructor. I mean, there was a lot of good house bowlers um, that gave me a lot of information, but uh, no real mentor, no real coach. Yeah. So I basically kind of figured it out almost on my own, which took me longer yeah. uh, than maybe some other people. Um, and I had a lot of bad habits. <laughs> Did Dolly help out with the kids league at all? Yeah, a little bit. Um, she actually was one when, of the coaches. She was there. She was, uh, I think she coached one of the years with us for a little bit as well. Yeah. Um, and that was good too because it was really, I mean, Kate and I kind of got thrown into it a little bit. We only did it because we didn't have a kids league here. And we just wanted something to get that next generation up because how do you feed your adult leagues if you don't have right. that next generation up? I right. mean, you can get, you can steal them from a, you know, a drinking league and hope maybe one of them shines, but really you need to instill it out of your Yeah, age. your farm system. Right. <laughs> Well, the industry does. <laughs> I know the whole. I think everybody's clamoring for the same thing. So, but, yeah. and I've always said it too. Like we've had, um, we've had some people come in. I know Daryl and ML have come in at some points to work with some of the kids as well, because you can always there's there always might be something that I'm missing that Kate's missing, and just to get also they get sick of hearing this from the same person over and over and over again. Right. We all have parents, we know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We all have kids. We know they get sick of hearing the same <laughs> from the same thing over and over again. So, um, I mean, Bobby Brown was going to help out with um, with the league at one point too. And I know somebody same idea said to me uh, it was Connor that used to bowl in our league. He's like, "Well, you started this league. Isn't it going to be weird to have somebody else do it?" I said, "For Bob Brown, no." <laughs> 
he can he can run it because he's yep. he's the bowling he's, whisperer. I was about to say he's the guy. Yeah. Mm. So if, when if it they, comes to the youth, yeah. yeah. So if the kids can get any better from anything, like that's always been my goal. Not about you know what can we do. It's what can you yeah. know what can we do for the kids as a right. whole. I do see. I was. I, I do see sometimes uh, either parents or coaches sometimes give kids too much information. Yeah. Oh, you're doing this. Oh, you're doing this. Oh, you're doing this. Keep yeah, it you simple. Don't, you don't. Yeah, right. Exactly. Keep it simple. Right. Give them one instruction. Let them work on it. Because, like I said, yeah. if they've been bowling a while, they got to re-rip the muscle memory apart, and then they got to redevelop. And once yeah. they once they master that skill, some of their other bad habits may actually go away naturally. Um, like there was this one girl um, on uh, Saturday night, uh, Saturday morning youth league. Um, she was born with like a bent elbow, almost like a ten pinner. Yeah. Like, well, she straightens that out. That that's the first fundamental, you right? Got to straighten that out. I mean, she's doing a couple other things wrong, but she's got to straighten out the elbow first. If we fixing the other thing isn't going to solve the problem, right? <laughs> so it's like that's the instruction. So if you are a teacher or a parent listening, keep it simple for your kids. Just give them one instruction, let them master that, master that, and then go to the next step. Yeah, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. <laughs> it is tough because you have some kids that just they don't want the instruction. I think I know you what you're talking t- about too, because if it's who I think it is was telling me for at least the last year and a half did not want to. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out, which is fine if that's what they want to do. Right. We have one kid in our league uh, who's been in the league, I think, since our second year. And I won't say names, but uh, if his dad's listening, he'll absolutely know the story. But he stands almost at the tile and just throws it. So I went over to him. I said, you know, you're allowed to go all the way to that line, right? And he said, yep. I said, you know, it's a lot easier from up close. And he went, yep. I said, are you going to do it? And he went, nope. I went, good talk. <laughs> <laughs> so did, did you did you have a guy that, that brought you up? Like when you started to get more competitive, did you have somebody that kind of brought you into the pro ranks? Um, actually, not really. I kind of just dove in head first. Hi, my name stumbled is David. across like it. <laughs> um, I mean, there was there was a few bowls like Skip Easterbrooks um, suddenly joined. You know, the, the Ficos leagues uh, for a while. Uh, there was a lot of bowlers on the men's leagues that were knew all the pro stuff when the TV stuff was still going on, and I kind of got into it that way. I kind of stumbled into it. Um, uh, I stumbled across the whole Void Forum where where everything was posted back then, and uh, I mean that's really how I kind of got into it. Well, because I remember my first year at the world was your first year at the world. I do remember this. We were. He was on my team. And yeah. I, and I didn't, I wish I knew more of what was going on. Mm. And then, like, like, I don't even know that was a tournament until somebody it, asked Johnny Winchell. I think even Rich Clark asked me, he's like, oh, you want to do the world's worlds? What are you talking about? <laughs> well, I, I knew about it, but I didn't know much about it. Like, I, and the same thing. Like, um, was it, was it Rich? It was either Rich or Winchell that came up to me and was, it might have been both of them. But yeah, it could have been both. And then here. they were just, like, yeah, I'm like, you know, you want, you want a bowl? Like, yeah, I do. Like, yeah. I, where are we going? Like, we're going to Canada. Oh. <laughs> oh, we're going far. <laughs> okay, we're going to drive 12 hours to go bowling. All right, that's cool. <laughs> For all week. But, I mean, we, we had a great team. Oh, yeah, we did. And I remember like, kind of being upset because I think it was Winchell that said, it's all right, you know, whoever bowls well in this last match is going to start the playoffs. Right. And I went like 390, something like that. And then I sat the first like string of the mm. playoffs and went – 
I was so mad. I'm like, wow. And then, like, looking back, I, I found the score sheets. I forget if Frank uploaded them or whatever it was. I found the score sheets from all the matches. And I went, oh, that's why. Mm. <laughs> I mean, we had we had four guys averaging 124. Yeah. For the week. Yeah, we finished third in that division. Yeah, right? like you and I were old men at 119. Yeah, we were low. <laughs> so, I mean, it was a learning experience. And unfortunately, sure I didn't was. get to go back for another... 13 years but but that was that was that was a lot of fun i mean that was my first eye-opening experience for how competitive right the game could be i, I remember back then uh it, it was a lot more hostile oh god <laughs> oh god compared to now i mean you get people chirping you oh that single looks off the small down there dave <laughs> like, shut up <laughs> oh god i think i spent the entire week with like eyes behind the back of my head looking yep. for lurch yeah look yep looking for lurch because all oh, the, the horror stories it's like cop you're new lurch <laughs> yep. is gonna get you and i'm like i want lurch to get me <laughs> so do, do you know have you no, i have no idea what you guys are talking i just <laughs> sat back so. okay do, do you know who lurch is i've never met lurch okay lurch is rich grassy okay he, he's from Maine. Super sweet guy. I'm mm-hmm. tall. I feel like, like you can't be called Lurch and be like a short stubby guy. It's true. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. so like the, the thing was like if you were new blood in the world, like, and if he noticed, basically he would just like lick the side of your face. Or, or do any all sorts of yeah it, it was like things uh, with his mouth and like I was terrified I was terrified some got it way worse than others and I'm, and, I'm, and fortunately like I'm short enough I he probably didn't even notice I was there. turned around you're yeah. Right. yeah I think you got lucky but on, I spent the whole tournament like looking around I'm like oh, okay that's him over there oh shit he's coming this way. Nice turn around, <laughs> hide under chairs, but but yeah, no, but like like you said, I mean, it was so much more cutthroat then, and like and even then, it probably wasn't as bad as it was in the eighties, right? You know, but it's gonna become real soft soon. <laughs> Seems like it's going to the and that everyone's gonna just hug and kiss each other after every match. So. <laughs> I mean, it's still very competitive. Don't oh, of course wrong. it is, of course um, it is, and I think the Canadians still. Have a bit of that edge. Yeah, some of them, you know, I hate to say Americans have gotten. They don't really know how to handle the, uh, you know, the the heckling. <laughs> I guess that's a bit because that, that's usually what it was. It was just heckling. But like some of the Canadians, like Snows, like he would chirp and chirp and chirp. He would, you know, throw a strike and you'd be bull next to him. He's just like, yeah, right in your face, like leaning over the ball rack. Like, look what I just did. But then if you matched it, he was the first one to shake your hand. Oh, of course. First one. Every single one of them was like that. Was it? And that's what made it to me really fun. And sometimes I, I, I almost wish a little bit of that would come back. The Dick O'Donnell that they were saying was chirping and he threw like four marks in a row and he was like, keep singing or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was something like that. It, but like, it just like even like Calvin. Mm-hmm. Um, my first experience with 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 Calvin, like in like okay, like he's he's a little you know cutthroat. Like yeah. you see that because again, not going to say names, but guy on our team, first ball we threw in the ocean, nine drop, two pieces of wood, and he made a face like like are you kidding me? And I mean Calvin went off. Mm. Like, you, like seriously in this whole thing so I kind of stayed away from them and then when it was at Academy we were bowling them it was we were even going to the last box of the first string I threw a hammer he matched it with an even bigger one 
And then, you know, everyone's going ballistic and he sits there and he stares and he's like staring at me and this and that. And then he like, you know, gave me like a high five. He's like, I don't know what they're all complaining about. Like, why are they worried? It was, we're just pulling. But it was, it was fun. It like, you know, but. I think there, it is a lot of, I mean, it's fun to compete. Mm, exactly. Oh, yeah. I think that's what a lot of it is. It's, you're up there, you're having fun. I mean, it sucks to lose, oh, but sure. you compete because it's fun to win. Like, right. And even if you like the whole journey to get there is the mm. whole story. Obviously, it's better to be on the winning end of that, but the, the journey is really 90% of the fun, in my opinion. So I think you, ha- and you have to have those stories or else. Right. All right. Yeah. yeah you just course. have to throw a ball at pins and going home. That's, yeah. That's I, I can fun. remember a few worlds like that. Yeah. Then, uh, I don't remember who I bowled with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember who won. Just showed know? up. And- yeah. It's, it, it's those ones that, you know, you, you have those kind of back and forth, either maybe even a little heckling or gamesmanship kind of going on. Like me and Snaz used to get into it all the time. Yeah. You know, when we're on lanes, I love bowling. You know, it's like, oh, I put me next to him. <laughs> and we'd have screaming matches and all that stuff. And it was a lot of fun. Some guys just amp you up, too. Yeah, exactly. right. You know? And, uh, you know, part part of that is missing in the game. Yeah. Um, I think the Canadians do it to themselves a little bit more. And I wonder if that helps build their chemistry because they've won a lot of yeah. the worlds over the last 20 years. <laughs> well, it came up in, in, so, and I brought it up when we, when, again, I know this is out of order, but when we talked to Frank and Kyle, so this is a spoiler alert, but Tommy Olsted said in the podcast too, where he thinks the Canadians have always been more of a team oriented. They don't do they a lot are. of singles. And he said for him, it was kind of a different aspect for him because it was like, if I wanted to beat you, it wasn't like, okay, let me call my four guys. Me and, me and my four buddies are going to beat you and your four buddies. It was always, Americans were always kind of centered on the one-on-one. Yeah, to some degree they still are. And I, and I agree, but I think there's a shift a lot more teams. Even like when we do some tournaments here, the team ones seem to fill right. a little bit faster. And yeah, there's like definitely it's a, a yeah, I feel shift. it's the same way with like the Ryder Cup. Because mm-hmm. like the Americans are never really successful in the Ryder Cup, at least less often than, yeah, than it, Europe. Until the singles it's come ju- around. It's just, right, exactly. <laughs> but usually like, they're so far behind by that. <laughs> yeah, but the, you know, the Europeans, like, you know, they're, they're, they excel more at team golf. Right. So I don't know. It's just maybe the American it's just, spirit all, of capitalism and <laughs> we're, we're it's all, monopoly. You got to be the one guy standing. <laughs> yeah. So we're all just you know, you know I'm, I'm here for me. Yeah. Yeah. You I mean, know, kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I I couldn't agree more. I think there's a lot. of the American culture is kind of more individualism rather than collectivism. Or probably won't call it. I'm not going to get political, but I do right. think that there's some of that that spills over into sports. I mean, you look at the Olympics, team sports usually aren't as valued as high as individual, right? Like Michael Phelps, everybody knows who he is, right? But uh, who won the relay? Like, yeah, right, exactly. Nobody, yeah, I think too. What's uh, what I find interesting is in you look at team sports, basketball. I know they, there's a joke that baseball is an individual sport that pretends to be a team sport, but um, bowling. I don't care how the team aspect is, you're still up there on the lane by yourself. Mm. So you would think if you have five of the best, just on paper, I know mm. you both bowled on many team events, but you would think on paper, if you have the five best bowlers and throw them on one team, they should steamroll everybody. You, but, you that's not, but that's not the case. Because there is that em- element of chemistry. Right. But, but the, but I guess my point is when I'm up there bowling, if, if the three of us are on a team together, other than telling me maybe how to play a shot, like you can't fill my spare. Right. It's just me trying to throw the ball. And it's not like I know there's some events where I think Palace did one where one ball threw five boxes. And yeah, I've heard yeah, they're doubles. Yeah. And I've heard one. I would almost like to see a tournament like that. There's a talk of one. We can discuss it later off the air. But um, Lamont gave me an idea at one point. But but the concept like there's no, you know, I throw the first ball. You see if you can clean it up for the spare or whatever else. It's just you 
you bowl your 10 boxes, another guy bowls their 10 boxes. Team chemistry on paper shouldn't matter. It's not like, you know, in hockey or, or football. You know, what did Giselle say? My husband can't throw and catch the ball at the same time. Like, yeah. Brady could be the best quarterback in the world if the guys aren't coming down with the ball. Yeah, to you know, bounce off their chest. Or Randy Moss, when, <laughs> yeah, Randy Moss when he was in Oakland. Mm. Well, that nine route's all well and good, but if nobody can hit him that deep... Exactly. It's useless. In bowling, you can still, you know, if you throw a 200, you're going to help your team no matter what. Right. So it is interesting that that the sport still needs that camaraderie, that collectiveness, that group to be successful. You can't just put the five best bowlers and say, you know, screw chemistry. Mm. You still have to have that. Right. right. Now, there's there's been some talk recently about associations and stuff mm. like that. Now, you you started, was it the USCBA? I did. Now, tell us a little bit about that because I, I remember years ago, you know, looking into it, I thought it was a fantastic idea. We had all the foundation stones in place and, uh, you know, we had many discussions with, you know, the ICBA a director at the time and including a couple members and board members on a few things. Um, nothing really came to fruition. It wasn't due to a lack of effort. It just, for whatever reason, it just never, never really happened. Um, I learned a lot of things. I learned that there's a lot of animosity between some proprietors and some of the pros from the old WCBC. I heard the stories, um, and if the stories are true, I can understand why they don't talk to each other. <laughs> and I can understand at least some reservations, at least some of the members I talked to had. Uh, and and, and, and I, I don't like to think that that played a part into it, but I can't help but wonder. Right. Um, but in the end, I don't regret doing it. Um, it served as a great umbrella for New England Candlepins when it was at FICO's because we were able to, um, you know, basically have all the income and everything kind of pass through us and not really involve FICO's. And, and it was great and it worked. But when FICO shut down, it went to here with Ryan's, which is a corporation, its own separate entity. Ryan's put their own money. In, so we took a step back. We're just like, we don't want to, you know, there's a lot of red tape. And I, I'm just like, you don't have the staff to, to figure it all out. And, you know, I ended up moving to New Hampshire. You know, some of my other directors had other things going on in their lives. So we just kind of just like, right now, the USCBA really isn't needed for New England Candlepins anymore. So we'll just put it kind of on the back burner on hiatus and see what comes of, you know, the talks that we've had. And we've even had talks with like the other pro bowlers or uh, try to get some sort of, you know, pro league with sponsors and stuff but nothing really happened everybody was on like a holding pattern and i think it was i still think it was the right move because at least it got the ball rolling and i still think that we can get there um, if anybody is listening and wants to you know discuss more or get together which i think is a great idea at least get some bowlers together in a room um I'm happy to be there. Yeah, um, I mean, I feel like we're at that stage where we we need the bowlers need some sort of absolutely represent, that, representation. That right? is that is the conclusion that I learned because I tried to create the USCBA to be uh, all all encompassing for all bowlers, which really requires a a, a big umbrella. <laughs> you need the you need the status associations, the proprietors, everybody to be on board on the same page, and that can be a logistical paperwork nightmare. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's I think uh, probably more of the reason why nothing happened. Than, than all the other things I said earlier. But uh, for now, I think the pros themselves 
need to get organized. The WCBC, you know, World Bowls Congress, like, needs to come back. Um, well, I mean, I think Dottie has everything. She does. I, I, I got some of the records that they've had, um, but, I mean, it, it really does need to come back because I think if we can get ourselves kind of together, good things can happen. Right. I mean, and, and not to, I don't want to turn this into crapping on like the ICBA because I mean, right. they do do, I mean, we got they in are for that. What? We got in trouble for that before. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they are for the proprietors. They, I, I, I mean, don't tell them that. <laughs> well, I think what I, I think the it, statement we were told was they are the proprietors. They, not for, like that's, right. yeah. It's, from my understanding of the way, I mean, I haven't seen the articles of organization from the state or from wherever they incorporated, so I can't, or you know, what they're classified as a tax exempt status. But as I learned through the process, there's different types of tax exempt status. I believe that they're classified as a business league. They have not confirmed this. I am not telling, I don't want them to, you know, they can, if they want to say what they are, they can come out and say it. Right. This is my understanding of how they're structured and that's perfectly fine. And the bowling industry needs a business league like like that for a multitude of reasons that I can go on for hours, but we don't have that right. time. Right. Um, but the bowlers themselves need to, that element is missing clearly. Right. I mean, the bowlers themselves can't go to their proprietor as they've, the ICBS said, or the NBA, or the uh, whatever, and kind of go through the process to submit rule changes and be involved. And But from the bowler's perspective, and I brought this up, is if the proprietor isn't invested in to those associations, there's a disconnect. Right. And that's what that's why the bowlers sometimes crap on the organizations like the ICBA or this and that. And I try to, as I learned through that process, I try to reel those guys back in because I'm kind of I kind of see where the ICBA is coming from you know so I'm you know trying to play politics but and uh but that's where it is right I mean and, and eventually we do want to talk to Andrew yeah and you know and, and get you know their perspective too right I think for me one of the things that I and, and Jeremy can talk to this as well we weren't and we're no longer ICBA certified house in mm. my understanding correct we did not get recertified no, we did not. Um, and a lot of that had to do with COVID. But we weren't certified for years. We mm. were certified for a bit, then we weren't. And one of the reasons we became certified was because when FICO's closed, a lot of those bowlers came right. up and it was important to them. They right. wanted to bowl in state, state mm-hmm. uh, especially the kids league. A lot and of that's great. But then the problem is if if, if the, the bowlers basically demanded we become ICBA certified, mm. I can tell you they're not demanding it right now. Yeah. No. And I think one of the reasons we were able to drop it, nobody said anything and nobody's <clears> complained at this point as far as the bowlers is because like you said there is a disconnect yeah. and when I try to voice that opinion that that the ICBA needs to be for the bowlers because the bowlers push a lot of the business and it, with anything if, if look at and again we're not going to get political with anything but if, if enough people make enough noise mm. a business will make a decision right we're a business here at Ryan's and I think we made a business decision based on the needs of the clientele. Mm-hmm. It's no longer a priority of the clientele right now. Yeah, you, you actually just hit the nail on the head, which is why I think if the pro bowlers can get organized, now there's a, an opportunity to build a connection right. between the bowlers and one collective voice through their own you know, committees or whatever to submit paperwork to change whatever they want to the ICBA. Right. Because right now the ICBA is listening to a thousand different voices from right. a thousand different yeah. bowlers. And, it, and, and it's, it's all, and it's all on Facebook. You know, exactly. So where, where 
it's you can't tell like we talked about it last night with with Frank and Kyle. Yeah. Um, it's all with text. Yeah. You can't tell tone. Yeah. Like you, exactly. you can't like you have, and, and it's hard to distinguish how people are portraying what they're trying to say. Right. Yeah. And that's where I'm totally on the ICBA side of things. So like I can totally see where they're coming from. Right. You know, because I used to, I was right there in line with some crapping on them all the time. You know, <laughs> but for a while too. But uh, like I said, creating the USBA opened up a lot of doors. On those doors are still open. Um, it gives you a lot of different perspectives and. I think there's a path forward, but you know, now, do you see a path forward with USCBA, or would you rather see somebody else create something? Uh, the USCBA right now is just it's just shut down. But would you, um, if there was enough interest, I, I would be more than happy to reopen. Okay, um, I still think uh, the USCBA is good for an all-encompassing thing. So one of the things I had talked to Nate a little bit about, I don't know if it made it on the podcast or it came off, but I always thought if you could create something, and I think the USCBA is this thing, that's like, an, unfortunately, I think bowlers, if they win enough money, they're going to have to get 1099 at a certain point. There's only right. so much right. you can deal with, with when it comes to that. But if you have one encompassing where, um, and I'll use Outrun the Bear, for example, USCB, uh, sorry, US CBA presents Outrun the Bear. Right. Everybody pays you. All the sponsors pay you. Right. And then... And then we we get, just pay it out. And then you pay it and out. I, and we give the 1099. That's exactly how it was designed. And and I think you start to do that. Now, all of a sudden, you can get you can go after real companies. And not that yeah, we have exactly. big vendors. We've, we've had a lot of sponsors. We've been lucky. But a lot of them are $50, $100, maybe $200. Mm-hmm. How do you get that $500, yeah, $1,000? Nobody's going to donate that money if they're just giving it to, you know... Per, you know, somebody from a committee, you know, right. like, oh, I'm running this tournament. You know, it's like they don't know who they are. You know, what is this tournament for real? What am I getting out yeah. of it? But when you're an actual business entity, now they can, it's traceable. Yep. You know, they can write it off contact, on their taxes. They can write it off or, you know, they can see what they're getting. They can make promises. You're yep. making a legal contract and, and it's more legit. So you can bring in that bigger money. Yeah. That's why I, I, I say it again, the bowl, pro bowlers get together. I'm here. There's a yeah. lot of us that have a lot of a lot of talent, a lot of uh, business degrees. I got a sports management degree. And there's a lot of people with finance degrees. As you said, there's so many people. We're out there. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, we're not. You know, the 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 bowling league isn't all. Well, it's not all people who work at bowling alleys. Mm. It's people who work. I mean, you know, we were talking about Bob Lee being, you know, basically a statistician. Mm. I think he's a scientist by like trade or something like that. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot of contractors, construction. We have we have uh, David Randall, our last one of the big sponsors, financial analysts. Yep. And then yeah, I know exactly. Dan Castle was talking about having his company sponsor one of the next hour on the Bears, and he's got CFP or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. He said he's got a lot of letters after his name. There's there's a lot of resources available. Indeed. And I think to you know one of the things that I had I had talked to, and I don't want to you know this is going to be a shirt at some point. I don't want to name names, but yeah. when somebody said you know nobody's volunteer, volunteering to do all this work for free, I said there's a lot of people volunteering to do yeah. work for free. And I did that whole USA for free. And I put well, my I, own money into I it. I pick I pick <laughs> on him a lot. It's all hopefully he knows it's some good fun, mm. but. Cheech, there's not yeah. an event that happens without Cheech. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, if you look at the amount of money that gets paid into the Cheech and the amount of money that gets paid out, mm-hmm. he's not taking a dime. Yeah. Right. That's a lot of work to do to, yeah. to get done. Just for the love of the game. And there's, a, and I know, um, and I said this again on another podcast where one, uh, during one of the final rounds of Outrun the Bear, Dave Barber was over there talking to Kate, asking her, she, he said, I know you've done like 20 of these tournaments. Do you have a database that have all of the stats? And she said, actually, I do. Can you send that all to me? Because he's trying to 
to do that. I don't think he's getting a dime for that because I think that's his yeah. own little pet project. Right. Yeah, I got one of those too. I just collect things. I, I put entries in my database. Yeah, and, and I know you were working recently doing play by play with Bob Lee. Mm-hmm. He's doing a lot of stuff for free and putting a lot of money. What Kyle put into the company. Yeah, uh, and yeah. Uh, the company into the cameras and just being a fan. This yeah. is, I don't buy for a second that there's not a ton of people that mm-hmm. are willing to donate their time, energy. Yeah. Right. Alfie. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean but, uh, at Exeter, you know, Bob Lee sets up behind lanes five and six. Yeah. I mean, his setup went from a stand and a phone. Yeah. To, I mean, he has like network extenders and iPads all over the place and cameras underneath the, the pit. I mean, the work he's putting into it is, is insane. Yeah. He was talking to me about an idea of having matches recorded and then, but he said he, he can't do everything, the play by play, the switching and everything. And he wanted, he had the idea of doing everything in post. And then after doing everything in post, having a completely different person who doesn't know the results do the play by play. And he said, because he goes, if I do it, I already know the results. It's an interesting idea. I'm not, it's mm-hmm. not going to be as exciting because right. I want somebody who you have to pretend it's live, but who doesn't know the result, who, you know, if they see, you know, a two pinner and they need that spare for the win, that's mm-hmm. important. It's not going to be like, and if you look closely, he's going to miss wide left. Yeah, there it is. Like, it's yeah. going to be important to that person, especially if they don't know the result. Right. Yeah. I mean, depending on how it's recorded and all yeah. set up, that that's a perfectly legit and logical solution to the. But again, you know, a, a lot of a lot of people are volunteering their time, energy, money, like yourself. Mm-hmm for no other reason than the love of the game. So this whole argument that I don't see anybody else stepping up to do this for free is bull. Yeah. Sorry to whoever said that to me if they're listening, <laughs> but it's bull. Yeah, I agree. I agree so. 100%. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to add? No, I think uh, I, I think that was a pretty good podcast. So well, I love to have you on. We'd love to have you again. We were talking at one point oh, about having you sure. and Richie on at the same time. Oh, that'd be point. great. So well, thank but, you. Well, Gotta have my question. Oh, wait. Now I have stuff. My God. <laughs> you know, every, I'm sorry. I got to say, every podcast, I'll turn and, and Jeremy goes, I think that wraps it up. I went, you didn't ask your question. You have one question to ask everybody. Now I'm like, I'm out. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, did you did you grow up watching the bowling shows and everything? I did. Okay. Did you have a favorite that you just latched onto? And why is his name Tommy Olsen? <laughs> yeah, that was the one. It was the match I watched over and over again was his match against Paul Berger. I think I think Tommy threw like a four eighty something, something like that. That was the match that got me hooked. The four, I think, no, the four eighty was against Ray McGurk. Oh, that that's one, Ray McGurk. Yeah, okay, Ray McGurk. That's the one. I, I, yeah, I remember because I, I had Tommy I had, just beat so many people. He, he beat everybody. So I, I never, I, I never I, actually. I could have left it there. I would have been, oh, yeah, you're right. I didn't actually see that until recently, mm-hmm. and I remember I and I told Tommy I was like when I pulled it up. His first ball, he, he punches like the one nine mm. or something stupid. I'm like, yeah. dude, <laughs> like that, that's that, that's terrible. And then he made then it. He I'm like, it. oh, this is like, all right, this is this is how this day is gonna go. And then he just went <laughs> off and yeah, off he and just, off. He just destroyed Barry. <laughs> and I was literally looking, and I went back and watched it again. I was literally looking to see if there was a where you could find 17 pins mm. to see if he had a had a shot at a 500. Right. There weren't. There, there weren't. Honestly, there weren't too many. <laughs> there weren't too many. <laughs> You know, so it makes that 500 so incredible. It's uh, that Paul Berger threw it. Mm-hmm. Just that, that's why I, I still say a 
100 is more impressive than a 200. I agree. Uh, yeah, I would agree. Well, I know. So I've I think it's been, probably more rare too. Well, so that's yeah. what I was going to say. I've been, you know, a fan of bowling a lot shorter period of time than almost, well, than anybody that's been on this podcast for sure. And I wouldn't consider myself a fan to the level that Kyle is. But uh, I know of two 200s that have been thrown in the last uh, three, two, three years, Cheech and John Blaze. Who's thrown a 500? Like, when was the last 500 thrown? I mean, I know they've been thrown, but I mean, I haven't heard of one recently. Mark Ritchie. But how long ago was, was that? When I think he broke the record. That was the last one I heard. I thought somebody in Canada might have. that was ages ago. I mean, maybe in Canada. That actually sounds vaguely familiar. I think since I've been, somebody broke 500. Yeah, I want to say, say it was somebody in Canada. I don't know if it was Calvin or, or not. I know he does have a 500, but I'm not 100% sure who it was. But I'm pretty sure somebody up there did. Yeah, it's entirely possible. Yeah, I just you don't hear about them. Not the two hundreds are often; they're mm. rare, but definitely I would say there's got to be more two hundreds uh, right. out there than five hundreds. Yeah, I think what the three string break is five seventeen, five nineteen, five something. Oh, yeah. I think it's five nineteen. Oh yeah, and then three of five is five thirty. That's kind of enough proof. Actually, no, five fourteen. Right Atkins Atkins has a five fourteen. Right. Although I thought some like when Albergini used to be on Channel Five, I thought it said five nineteen. Mm. I could be wrong. Yeah, it's, it's then, in the five teens, yeah. I think. Yeah. But then you go take that a step further and you see the guys who have an 800 under their belt. Yes. Yeah. I think it's uh, Mike Sargent, 845 for five. Three. 841. 841. 841. Like, 841. It's not even 800. It's yeah. 841. It's, that's just, that's. I don't think that's a record that will ever come down. Oh, God, no. I mean, <laughs> and the only other the only other two people that I know of with 800s are Matero and Sorette. Oh, yes. Sorette had 801, I think, at Metro. You're still looking for that seven, right? That's dumb. <laughs> I think yeah. I was there. I don't. I can't believe I forgot that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm still. I'm, for some reason, I can't get. I always have that one clunker. It's usually in the second or the fourth string. Do you think a lot of that has to do with where you're bowling? Like, if you bowled, not to say that the seven hundred is easy anywhere. It's it's obviously very difficult, but. You know, as some people complain here, you get a lot of three and twos and whatever else. If you bowled, you know, five seasons in a row at a faster house, a metro, a park place, or a palace, do you think what you would stumble into one more likely than yeah. bowling in a tougher house? Maybe. I mean, if I spent a season in a five string league at metro, maybe. Yeah. Maybe not. What's your high five, Dave? Um, seven. Gotcha, Pete. He didn't have to keep talking. <laughs> 41, I think. What was it 740 what? 741, I think. 741. Is that a FICOS? I don't remember where it was. Was it really? that important? I honestly don't remember. I, you, you throw so many of those for over a while. And you just kind of keep where they are. I know, just, just drive that dagger right into Port Germany. So I will say this. One of the closest things I want to say is, uh, so Matt, who also met uh, Taylor, who works here as well, has uh, three of the junior league record for boys on the on the wall. He happened to be bowling next to your son. And I told him, I said, I want to go take a picture of your records. I don't think it'll last much longer. And he looked over and he goes, yeah, probably not. <laughs> so he did say he wants to be here, whether he's helping coach or whether he's still bowling. He wants to be here when it gets broken as well. Oh, so um, it was. he said it's always exciting to see the next wave up. So it was cool. That sportsmanship and everything else. So, right. But they'll be bowling against each other soon enough, I think. It's a, not a big league, so I'm sure they'll wrap around <laughs> a few times. So, well, Dave, thank you so much for coming. Hey, thanks for having me. Means a lot. That was like that was a really good conversation. It was, and, and yeah, he was already talking about it next time, which is great. I mean, yeah, he was excited, and like afterwards, he was like, he's like, how much did this equipment cost? Which don't get. It. 
let's be fair, it's not that expensive. Yeah, Kyle Bruce, it's a lot less than I'm sure what you put into your assistance. I, I think the most expensive thing was the little thing that I record into. And you use that for another podcast as well, right? I do. So we're not going to talk about that. I'm not giving you a plug. <laughs> That's fine. So unless you tell me who won Alfie's tournament. I'm not going to do that. Damn it. <laughs> One of these, you're going to tell me like the day after it airs or something like that. You're going to tell me who won. I'm going to be all excited. You're going to tell me it was on YouTube. Yeah, it just drops on YouTube. Hey, by the way, here's who won. Damn it. <laughs> I just watched it. So, no, I'm trying to get, who else was up there? Somebody's bound to tell me. Steve Reno's here. Maybe he'll tell me. <laughs> Maybe I can get it out of him. So, yeah, so great, great conversation with Dave. Uh, it was, uh, I learned a lot, especially the US CBA, because one of the questions I, I was curious about is, is there's a lot of ideas to kind of have another bowlers association. And I mean that as a bowler is not a proprietor and that's not to be a slight to SBA. It is a proprietor's organization um, to have a bowler centric organization. The thing I was most excited that he said about the whole podcast was he'd be willing to uh, reactivate the USCBA if it was appropriate. Right. And basically, and in, in, in what he said was the bowlers have to get together. Right. We need to have that conversation. And I think the big thing and the big takeaway is uh, there's a lot of people out there willing to put in their time and energy and, and money. You know, maybe maybe that's how we get the money going in. And, you know, maybe we connect him with, you know, Alfie. Maybe USCBA and yep. Cannabis for Cancer can work something out as well. I think there's, you know, and I'm not saying that USCBA, I don't want to use the word failed, but obviously it's not in operation anymore. But no, I wouldn't say it failed at all. But you learn from failures a lot of times too. So he's, he knows what worked and what didn't work. Yep. So hopefully if that does get reinstated, because I'd hate to see somebody try to start it from scratch. It seems like there is some legwork there. It's also a good name, United States Cannabis and Bowlers Association. Oh yeah, absolutely. So that was uh, that was a good conversation. We want to get into uh, some of the highlights. I think we only had one tournament over the weekend that I'm aware of, which was the King of the River. Yeah, uh, was it? Uh, I saw Mark Ricci post. It was a Rob Brown. I believe Rob Brown won that one. ACST Semi Pro Bowler. So good to see that yeah. that he won that. Hopefully, we can keep seeing uh, posts from that tournament as well. I know uh, Eddie Florentino got a new dog, and that's like his world right now. Which uh, all the power to him. But I mean, you were posting everything. Where are you? I need you. <laughs> No, obviously, you know, got to take care of home first. But as far as tournaments coming up, I know, unfortunately, the Maddie Nichols Northeast Candlepin, not Candlepin, Triathlon is postponed. He's going to try again in the spring and possibly try to do everything on one weekend. I know some people told him, you know, to try to do it on like a Memorial Day weekend or something like that to see maybe if you can bang it out that way. My advice to him was to to do it regardless. I mean, Alfie got 18 people. Yeah. First ever outrun the bear got 19. He was complaining about 20. So 20 is not a bad number to, to get things going. Number, and you know what? Word of mouth. If they enjoy themselves, word of mouth will get out and right. grow. Exactly. And then the other thing too is could you then convince any of those candle pin bowlers to try duck pin or to try 10 pin? And then can you get some candle pin bowl? I'm sorry, some duck pin or 10 pin bowlers to try candle pin? Maybe we do right. get a new body in here. Somebody who lives in Rhode Island that's willing to come up. Uh, it would benefit Millis. I mean, we're kind of on that border of, of duck. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, of Rhode Island and everything else. So, because we're not that far from Johnson, uh, Johnson, Rhode Island, I think is the closest one here. Yeah, probably. So we that was supposed to be on the 31st. On the 30th, there is a Halloween scramble. If you're looking to do that, I know Lexi and Matt Susie have been posting about that. So check that out. I know you have, I believe you have to sign up as a, as a pairing, but I'm not 100% sure. But reach out to them. I know they posted a couple things. I believe it's a five stringer than a tournament. And you get to bowl with a different partner every single time. So that's uh, that should be interesting. Which is cool. I, yeah. I like that. And then I believe the next thing I know um, is the Thanksgiving 
tournament that they do up at Lakeside. I forget what it's called. And I've bowled in it too. It's that they it's do Thanksgiving doubles. Isn't it? Oh, I thought it had a different name, like a turkey scramble or something. Oh, uh, you know, and I always joke every year that we're going to do an hour on the turkey on the same day just to mess with them. But of course, we would, ne- <laughs> we, we would never do that. Also, it would be an epic failure on our part. We would never get the numbers right. because that's a great tournament. But I believe they have a six o'clock, nine o'clock, and midnight shift. Yeah. So check that out as well. Um, not as many tournaments as there was probably going into the fall. No, I mean, we have World Star Internationals, Nationals, whatever you want to call it. That's coming up in a, in a couple of weeks, yep. two, two, three weeks. Uh, I'm not sure when the Pro Series is. I'll have to check the date on that. And then uh, what do we have in next week? We have Frank DeLuca and Kyle Bruce, which I'm super excited about. I'm going to usually try to act surprised, but we already announced that on this podcast because we did these are a little (laughs) out of order. And I'm going to give a teaser on the next podcast. Like three times I said, this is the 17th podcast. And now this is the 17th podcast. So, uh, And the reason for that, the main reason that we're delaying that podcast is because Frank would not stop annoying us going, when is it going to be on? When is it going to be on? And I have no idea where that comes from. You know, it's been like 18 hours. Yeah, I know. So we're going to make you wait a week. Frank, we're going to make you wait a week. What you do to us, and I I know you're a perfectionist and you make it perfect, that's not the reason we're waiting. But we will have that on next week. Yeah. So, And then uh, we do have a few more in the pipeline that we're working through. So you, I'm sure you'll see some more uh, posts from us over who's coming in. And yep. of course, uh, and we've had some people reach out to us. We're trying to get some timing and logistics in. We do have a little bit better of a Zoom setup. It's not going to be video. We're, we're going to stick mostly to the audio side of it. But if you are willing to be on the show, give us a call. And we'll try to, or not a call, a message, and we'll try to work something out. So Perfect. that's all I have. That's all I got. All right. Till next time. 